Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mint Door podcast. I'm super excited for this one. I'm Dr. Laura Schwint. And I am Dr. Karen Tindall. And we would like to welcome Dr. Dave Striegel. Dave, thanks so much for being on with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week, and I'm really excited to to be here. Oh, yes, we we can't wait. We have just an amazing guest with us today. Dave, you have 25 years or more of performance coaching, speaking, and you're also an author. That's that's pretty cool. Not 25 years of author, but uh, that that's a fairly new uh, element to add to my resume. But yeah, 25 years when you to hear you say that, I have to pause. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And you, I mean, you have coached and helped um, professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, um, people in the military, special forces, uh, and um, law enforcement. Uh, dentists. I know. And, you know, it, again, a lot of times people wonder how did, how did that, th- those groups don't always go together. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background, um, your, your educational experience, and then how you wove your way into this high performance coaching and all these different groups. The, it, the whole thing starts for me, of course, it depends on how far back you want to go, but it starts with me when in, in my high school experiences, I had a couple of instances in my sports life and, and actually non-sports life too, where I really had opportunities to perform under pressure and didn't. Mm-hmm. And so it, those instances really influenced my path when I got into college and started looking at careers. And just by happenstance, I did a project my senior year, first semester of senior year of college with a women's basketball player, varsity player at SMU in Dallas, where I went to undergrad. Mm-hmm. And she and I were together on a project. And she said, why don't we do it on sports psychology? And I said, what? Mm-hmm. What kind of psychology? She said, sports psychology. I said, is that a thing? I said, yeah. And Right then, as soon as I heard the title, I said, we're absolutely doing the project. And then once I learned what it was, which was helping athletes and coaches figure out how to perform better under pressure, either individually or as as teams, Mm -hmm. I said, I found it. I found my career path and Mm -hmm. had to do a really quick. Now, this I'm dating myself. This was before the Internet. (laughs) This is before we could go Google graduate schools and all of that. So I had to figure out a different way to do it. So I got a, a, a manual that outlined all the sports site grads programs mm-hmm. and found the the ones that I felt like would best suit what I was after, which was really applying it and went to grad school at, at the University of Virginia mm-hmm. uh, to get my, PA, my master's and PhD in, in sports psychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, uh, spent time in Florida, in Massachusetts, and now in San Diego. Mm-hmm. That's so right. that's kind of the the logistical route in, in the educational piece. But mm-hmm. when I was in Florida, I worked for a company that specialized in, in training high-level athletes and executives in, in really the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned the the really began the, the process of tr- applying what I did with athletes 
to other people who are not athletes. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and as we were talking in our lead up, uh, when you drill down beyond the venue, you know, a, a, a court or a field versus a boardroom or, or a, a dental operatory, mm-hmm. it's really about people wanting to, to perform at a high level and get consistent results over time under pressure and stress. Mm-hmm. Not just for themselves, but also leading others to do the same. Mm-hmm. And that's when along the way, I encountered a group of dentists and my exposure to dentists had been the same as most, which was just going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to really understand a little better the pressures and stresses that dentists experience. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years ago, connected with an old fraternity brother of mine from college who was in the dental industry, but working with profitability in dental practices, not so much performance. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the stuff you do with athletes might really help my clients because we lay out these great plans for them, but they didn't, they don't execute them or implement them mm-hmm. at the level that, that, that they need to. Mm-hmm. And that was my first, that actually, now that I think about it, it was more about 13 years ago. And so that was my first entree into actually working with dentists mm-hmm. in their world mm-hmm. and have been there ever since. When, when you first started working with dentists, how, how were you received? Because I bet this was new to a dentist too. Well, I was received with some kind of like, huh? <laughs> but once I had the opportunity to explain, it's really about my, my focus and even my work now, I spend most of my time working with the dentists or the leaders in the practice mm-hmm. on how to lead them, how, how to perform better themselves and be the best version of themselves mm-hmm. as a leader, a communicator, because mm-hmm. in, in the subtle difference is when everything's going well, it's real easy to communicate well and, and lead well, et cetera. It's when things go sideways and things aren't working. We have a global pandemic, things like that happen that leadership and communication, et cetera, really gets tough. And the reason it gets tough is because we, many of us don't, don't have the experience and ultimately the confidence mm. that we're going to be able to, say the right thing or do the right thing, make the right decisions. We pause, we freeze, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where the, the transfer happens. And once I explain that my role is to help you be a better decision maker and communicator under stress and pressure, then, then the light bulb tends to go on. Mm-hmm. I mean, so obviously, Dave, I've had experience of what your uh, – Secrets yeah. are, um, and <laughs> they are um, secret. By the way, are not secrets, but they are like magic tricks. Call them magic tricks. Okay, but they do work. They do work. Um, and because that was back in when I was speaking last year, that you helped me out there, which was amazing. And I still think of those things like every time, like I go out and speak now. So it, it really did work. But if you could share, like maybe two or three things that doctors in their practices and in their clinics who are leading under stress Mm -hmm. that they could maybe implement today after they Mm -hmm. finish listening to this, what would a couple of those things be? The first thing that comes to mind with that question is when you think about pressure, pressure is a perception. Mm -hmm. 
because what may be pressure to me may not be pressure to you. So, and I'll, the, just a, a very logical example, I'm not a dentist. So if you were to put a handpiece in my hand and tell me to do anything with it, I've got no idea other than I could maybe draw on a wall. You know, I could do something with it, but it would not be what it's intended for. I have zero confidence. Mm -hmm. But either of you, no problem. You know exactly what to do. You've done it thousands of times. I all of a sudden feel debilitating pressure. You don't. Mm -hmm. It's the same situation, though. So it's a function of perception that is derived from experience and also those that internal dialogue that we have in our brain. So that would be the first thing mm -hmm. is really understand that pressure is a perception. Yeah. And we can control or, or manipulate or uh, manifest our perception and, and change our perception over time. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an element of control from the get go. And then that then transitions into the second thing I would ask them to do, just if we're talking about do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be kind of a play on words is think about a pre-shot routine. So in the world of sports, and I'll use basketball as an example, in the world of basketball, when you shoot a free throw, which is when you go to the free throw line and nobody's guarding you, you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. You get to decide how to prepare for that shot. So once the referee hands you the ball, it's up to you to what you want to do. What the science has shown, as well as just anecdotal experience, I think any of us who've had have had who played basketball is I go through a, a set routine mm -hmm. of maybe dribbling the ball and deep breath and setting and then shooting and I get a better result. Mm -hmm. The same applies in dentistry. And even if and, and this is the, the, the kind of the mitigating factor is the, the more experienced you get, the shorter the routine has to be to get the impact. Mm -hmm. So if you're going from one operatory to another and, you know, it's you're on roller skates that day and you, you don't know what you're walking into, but they tell, OK, here's what we've got. All you need to do with some practice is you can pause for 15 seconds. We've all got 15 seconds, mm -hmm. 15 seconds. And if you have a, a com com combination, physical and mental process you go through for 15 seconds, you can change your perspective on what you're walking into mm -hmm. and then ultimately be present for that patient. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, the, I think, downfalls, if you will, of in the dental world that I find doctors get themselves into is just bouncing throughout their day, not being able to really engage as well with either their team or their patient as they'd like to. Mm -hmm. And then as a result, we know the results aren't optimal. So mm -hmm. just inserting a little, what I would call a pre-shot routine mm -hmm. in between the various, what I, what, what I think of as performances yeah. can make a, a a material difference. It may not be perceptible to anybody else, mm -hmm. but it would be to you. Yeah, that sounds like it will make such a difference. Mm -hmm. That's and 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 hopefully no one's going to say, "Gosh, doc, you're 15 seconds late." <laughs> no, 
No, if if they yeah, we got it a different issue if if that if if that comes up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're 15 seconds late, but you're much more engaged and, and present mm-hmm. with me. Right. And so it's yeah, that's I a don't win. see a problem with that. Yeah. I wonder, you know, and you probably have a great answer for this, but I'm sure with athletes and executive and doctors alike, there is a a drive for perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And that can often lead to um, imposter syndrome, where mm-hmm. you just don't even feel like you're who you say you are. Do you find that across the the gamut with all these different high performers that you work with? And if so, how do you help them through that? Well, the answer is uh, across the board. To some degree, probably so. I mean, they may not label it that way, okay. uh, but certainly having self-doubt, uh, you know, whether it's whether whether it manifests in them feeling like they don't belong in whatever environment they're in, that may differ a little bit, and and to to varying degrees. But I think self-doubt is is part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that that we all. I wouldn't even say suffer from, but experience, because I don't look at it as necessarily a negative uh, because it can be a tremendous catalyst to uh, having people step back and look at, is this true? And and if it is, if there is an element of truth to it, then that tells you where you need to work. Where do I need to go to work? Where might I be deficient in my preparation? Because that is one of the key things that's different between dentistry and sports is, and maybe not as much as I think, but in, in sports, the performance, all aspects of the performance are out there for everyone to see. And it's a lot of times on camera, millions of people watching. I mean, if you think about it, I, I have a client who's a, a major league baseball umpire. Mm-hmm. And his performance is not just viewed by millions, but it's also viewed with instant replay in slow motion. (laughs) So let's think about that for a second. Let's have a camera watch you all day and every interaction, every filling, every crown you prep, everything is reviewed by someone in New York in slow motion. That's horrible. that's, That's pressure. Like, oh my gosh. But even someone like that, and that you could say would foster self-doubt, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at the in in the end, the the imposter syndrome part of it has to do with again that that internal dialogue that we have that you have to be willing to be honest with your preparation, because that would be the first place that anybody who is is has a tremendous amount of self-doubt. It's to me, that's the first controllable thing, Mm -hmm. because in order for someone to gain confidence, one of the first things I look for is what can I help them gain control of? Mm -hmm. And your preparation in the vast majority of cases is within your control. Mm -hmm. So I would start there and saying, okay, what's your preparation like? Tell me what you do to get ready for whatever it is you perform. Let's say it's doing a performance review with a team member mm-hmm. and you just hate them. Why do you hate them? Well, maybe your experience with performance reviews was not very good. So 
your perception of them is is coming from a place negative place already, and you've never really been taught how to do a, a productive review, so you're kind of winging it. Mm-hmm. Who's going to have confidence in that scenario? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where looking at okay, let's look at your preparation that's that's leading up to, and that's you know, Karen, you mentioned the speaking. Mm-hmm. That's a, in a significant part of what we talked about too was what your preparation is like mentally and physically. And a lot of times people forget the physical part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Breathing, hydration, mm-hmm. managing your blood sugar with nutrition. Mm-hmm. All those things are fundamental to performing under pressure. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the, the imposter syndrome or the imposter phenomenon is a real thing mm-hmm. uh, that I think it, it's, it can be situational in the most extreme cases. It's, it's across the board in every scenario someone's in, mm-hmm. but the more, what I find is, you know, the average person experiences some self doubt in situations where they lack confidence, which means they probably haven't, they don't have the miles on the tires yet. Mm-hmm. to have that base of confidence to draw from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of my initial thoughts on the imposter syndrome. That's, you know, and that's, you bring up such a good point. You know, we wouldn't think anything of an athlete preparing with a good night's sleep, eating correctly, um, making sure they're physically in good shape before they go perform. And yet a lot of times um, execs or docs aren't doing that in any way, shape, or form. They're not taking care of themselves before they go perform. In fact, they're doing some things that really are counterproductive to that based Mm -hmm. on how they set up their schedule. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the perception of, you know, you mentioned the kind of notion of perfectionism or, and and that's very a close cousin of expectations Mm -hmm. and what we think we should be like, or what we're seeing our colleagues you know, what they're like in their practices. And, you know, I, you know, if you are managing your life or setting up, evaluating yourself based on what everybody else is doing, I mean, if there's one thing social media has taught us, it's you've got to be really careful to, to judge yourself based on what others want you to see about them. About them. Because yeah. I promise you, you're only seeing the good stuff. Right. You're not seeing the train wreck that is, Mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes, which is the reality. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's really where I try to help people understand that performance at the higher levels is ugly. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because everyone's good at that level. And mm-hmm. so the incremental differences are small. Mm-hmm. What makes a difference, like we were talking about with the pre-shot routine, if you pause for 15 seconds to get your mind focused, mm-hmm. to be really present for your next patient, is that going to make a difference? No guarantees. But if it makes a difference in you hearing a patient in a way, you hearing a complaint or a concern they have in a little bit different way that makes you pause and help them feel heard or cared for, that to me is all I need to hear as to why it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I find it, I love how it's related back to like the sports psychology and the examples and they're really easy. Like I I love hearing examples because it just, you can relate to it because you've you've seen these situations, but obviously sport and whatever, it's random. Sometimes things go wrong. 
um, and they don't happen as you would want them to. So what would you advise somebody like a doctor in their practice that a situation and something like if they're in a game, it goes wrong. Like quite often something takes a turn. You don't want it to go down that way, but it does. What would you advise people to do at that moment in time where all of a sudden your heart drops and you think, oh, my God, (laughs) what am I going to (laughs) do? You mean like when you forget the words of your talk, like happened to me a couple of years ago? Something like that. Yeah, could be that. Well, first of all, you look at the exit sign and think to yourself, I really would like to leave now. But then (laughs) you don't because your training kicks in. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, in that moment, I always want, and this is something Karen and I, you and I talked about was Mm -hmm. I want you to have an kind of a plan B set aside that if you lose your place or you don't know what to do, in other words, when the stress hormones and when the stress response kicks in, we know from the science behind it that your focus narrows and your ability to process information in that moment decreases. So we can't think as straight. It's cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you have something that you know is a go-to, so in the speaking terms, it might be uh, an exercise to ask of the audience. You know, we're going to pause for a moment, and I'd like you to give some thought. I'd like you to close your eyes, and I just want you to visualize this, this idea and spend a minute, and then we'll come back and debrief. Mm-hmm. All that is is buying yourself time to get your mind organized and say, what just happened? And where do I go next? Yeah. But it's to have a plan already in place. And there's an interesting line of research about that, that when it comes to even the preparation, a lot of times we think of visualization and Mm -hmm. mental imagery as something, and it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And virtually everybody who we all use it in some way, but that's one of the tools that elite athletes yeah. Like to utilize when they're not on the court or the field, right? As they yeah. play the game in their mind. Mm-hmm. But in, the research is starting to show that the visualization of playing perfectly is helpful, but it actually, if that's the only way you visualize, it can lead to a decrease in production, mm-hmm. or decrease in performance. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's the visualizing your response to things going sideways that enables you to derive confidence stepping into a high pressure situation. Mm -hmm. And it it actually is a a core of behavior change. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're trying to implement an exercise program in your life, you know, just at a very basic level, what's going to help you be able to withstand or or overcome the various barriers. Mm -hmm. It's not from necessarily from visualizing everything going perfectly and every day going perfectly. It's actually visualizing what's most likely to sidetrack me. Mm -hmm. How am I going to respond to that? What am I going to say to that person? What am I going to do in that scenario? And walking through the top, I don't know, three or four scenarios Mm -hmm. so that, you know, if something like this happens, if I forget the words, here's what I'm going to do. So that, that I find is, is, one of the first yeah. things I'd say. Was it was it you who shared with uh, me the story about a, a swimmer and his goggles? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well it, it's a it's a well documented mm-hmm. story about Michael Phelps. Okay. 
for those who don't know, he's the most decorated Olympian in history of the history of the world by a long shot. I think 22 gold medals or something like that. Mm-hmm. So back in 2008, he was in the finals of the 200, I think it's the 200 butterfly. And he was expected to win, but what he didn't plan for was when he dove into the pool, his goggles dislodged and came off and filled up with water. And from the very beginning of the, the race, he couldn't see. So he was effectively swimming blind. And now what happens then? His training kicks in and he, he gauges his strokes off of the count anyway. So he knows how many strokes it takes from one end of the pool to the other if he's swimming at his top speed. So his brain just kicked into counting strokes. And then he knew exactly where he was in the pool and he ended up winning. And I don't recall if he set a world record, but he might've, but they asked him afterwards, what, what happened? And he said, you know, my goggles filled up with water and and I just had to make, make the best of it. And I just relied on my training Mm -hmm. and my coach had taught me how to visualize. My coach taught me to visualize perfect performance But what he didn't realize is I got bored. I got bored with it. So I started visualizing what I would do if something went wrong. So I had actually mentally prepared for something like this Mm -hmm. along the way. It's such a great story. I mean, I mean, it just goes to show, I mean, he'd already been there. He had already experienced it. So it wasn't as um, it didn't give him as much pressure as it would have had he not. He didn't panic, right? He didn't panic because right. he knew all I have to do is count. Mm-hmm. That's it. It made it really simple for him. Whereas it had it had this had it happened to someone who hadn't given it any thought, mm-hmm. it may have taken a little longer for them to realize all I have to do is count. And by then they'd lost count. And mm-hmm. in those races, right? It's we're talking hundreds of seconds. So that makes the difference between winning and, and finishing last. Yeah. That's such great advice. I, I, that, I mean, we can use that with our kids. We can use that with our teams. Um, speaking of teams, you know, uh, our, our doctors work with teams. They, they depend on other people to get their job done. And so learning some of these techniques for themselves is wonderful, probably life-changing, but then how do you effectively translate that into leadership? Well, first of all, the, the first place I start with respect to working with a team is I want all of them to understand a little bit about the science of pressure and performance. Mm-hmm. And so I start by explaining the, a little bit of the neuroscience behind the threat response mm-hmm. and what happens And that, first of all, we all are hardwired with this response to stress and pressure. Mm -hmm. We all have it. In fact, it's a survival mechanism that's built into our brains, right? It's it's there for everyone. Nobody gets away without having this, at least under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. So understanding that first, that this applies to everybody, and then helping the leader, helping the doctor derive some or, or kind of a framework that they can apply to the leadership of their team that has this neuroscience 
information at its for, at its base. And there's a, a, an, a model of the neuroscience of leadership uh, that's been popularized by Dr. David Rock, uh, who's the founder of the Neuro Leadership Institute. Okay. And it's called the SCARF model, and it's an acronym, okay. S-C-A-R-F. Okay. And it stands for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And through, all, through his research in the, his institute and all the work he's done in corporate America, et cetera, he's identified those five components as being primary to the threat response in the workplace. And as a result, the threat response that leaders need to pay attention to in order to minimize the threat response and keep their teams in that optimal zone. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of threat, just like a little bit of pressure, mm-hmm. can be good. Mm-hmm. But there's that optimal zone where too much threat or too much pressure mm-hmm. then starts to lead to a decrease in focus performance communication skills and all those things. Mm-hmm. And so my my initial focus point with any doctor is generally you got to understand the brain first mm-hmm. before you can understand and really be a, a an effective leader. Mm-hmm. That's you know it's it, there's so much of this that they don't teach us when we go mm-hmm. through our our training that it, and can really be su- such a game changer no pun intended i know we're talking sports but such a <laughs> game changer <laughs> um as far as y- your success and and probably your enjoyment of what you're doing as well you know i found that the the scarf model is something that that uh, i've used in a lot of different avenues uh i mean i think it it's a powerful tool when you think of parenting Mm. And you want, you know, again, the idea is to help someone get in a place where they're going to do their best work. And if they're struggling because they're afraid, then you try to to sort out what's what's really being challenged of, of these five things. And, you know, there are other situations and other aspects to pressure and performance beyond the five. But that's a great place as a coach or as a leader to start with as to why why is my office manager off today. What did I do something? Did I say something? What what's going on? Mm-hmm. And just to go down the, the checklist of the five aspects of the scarf model and say, okay, is one of these being triggered? Mm-hmm. Or perhaps even more. And so like for the example, the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. the pandemic shutdown and everything that everybody went through triggered the certainty was at a at a premium. Mm-hmm. And everyone had a tremendous amount of uncertainty, mm-hmm. which meant that we didn't have much autonomy. We had very, very little control over any of it. Mm-hmm. And then all the shutdowns, meaning we had to all isolate the relatedness that we normally got from our teams and in the workplace was dissolved. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, when we came back, triggered our status, you know, do I still have a job? And am I still as valuable as I used to be? And then fairness, you know, the whole thing isn't fair. But then when I came back into my work environment, was I treated fairly? Was I given, you know, the the same job I had or the same number of hours and 
and all of that. And, and then we're seeing kind of ramifications and, and a, a cascade of things come out of that mm-hmm. relative to compensation and, you know, the, the labor shortage, all those things are kind of a byproduct of everything we went through that was very difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so my, my work actually got more involved during the pandemic with my clients than even before. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Who could have predicted that lovely pandemic would bring such. <laughs> well, it still has lingering, you know, lingering mm-hmm. effects even now. Right. I mean, right. It's, it's sort of, we've kind of adapted to it, fortunately, mm-hmm. but we still are, are seeing lingering effects of, the uh, again, I mentioned the labor shortage and and the labor shortage to me, you know, my my mindset is I always try to see what what's the productive takeaway. Mm-hmm. And from the labor shortage, it it really is. It's telling us that we have to be more cognizant of the culture we're creating for our teams mm-hmm. that is one that they want to be a part of right. mm-hmm. and that they're willing to make decisions to be a part of, because mm-hmm. as we're seeing, they're going to be enticed or, you know, all kinds of carrots are going to be dangled in front of them mm-hmm. more money than they've ever made before. Mm-hmm. You know, name your schedule, things like that. And, you know, I, I won't criticize anybody whose family situation or personal situation is one where, look, I've got to, I've got to go because it, it just, it's too good of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. In most cases, I have found it's not so much smoke and mirrors, but it's it's kind of a a false narrative. You know, they end up uh, team members might end up changing for the economic reasons, but the the research shows that the reason they stay there, the reason we stay in jobs, has to do with growth and connection much more than compensation. Mm-hmm. So what this whole labor shortage to me says is take a look at your culture docs. Mm -hmm. Is it a place that you would want to work? Mm -hmm. Is it a place that your daughter or son would want to work? Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, then you've got some work to do. And then that's when they contact you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) of course. (laughs) No, but, but at the end, you know, in the end, you know, just like all, all of us, you know, we can only help so many people. I would rather they just contact someone mm-hmm. who has knowledge in these areas like yourselves and, and many of our colleagues mm-hmm. and just say, what, what can I do to make my culture and, and make the, this company that I've worked so hard to build? Make it a place that people want to be a part of and and are even willing to sacrifice on behalf of mm-hmm. at times. Because we're finding, as we're seeing right in front of us, uh, mm-hmm. people are leaving jobs for yeah. very different reasons than they used to. Right. Well, and ultimately, you know, I've always said that the energy of a place it really defines its success. And if the energy is off because someone's there and they don't want to be, you know, that those are things that need to be addressed, not just for your happiness at work, but for the patients you're taking care of um, and ultimately your success. So um, I think that that's huge. I a hundred percent agree. And there's, there is a, 
there's a sequence of steps that I believe, you know, business owners, doctors, dentists can take Mm -hmm. uh, to help them uh, be able to identify situations like that. I mean, look at it like a battery. Look at it like each of your team members has a battery. Mm-hmm. And that battery is either fully charged or some some level of empty. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing to f- keep their battery charged on an individual level and on a group level within your practice? Mm-hmm. Because I assure you, each one of them has a battery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a result, and, you know, as it relates to how connected they are to the, your practice mm-hmm. and your what you choose to do from a, a team standpoint as well as an individual standpoint, as I mentioned, the growth, the connection, compensation, balance, those things all factor into that battery being fully charged. Mm-hmm. And if you're not paying attention to that these days, mm. You're going to have team members who are pretty low on the battery, and then they're going to they're going to leave, and you're going to you're going to wonder what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because most people are not going to volunteer. Hey, my battery's getting a little low, Doc. Can you do something for me? Right. Can you talk to me? Can you listen to me? Can you care a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Something. Nobody's going to say that. Right. They're going to show it in their actions, mostly. Mm-hmm. But then you get the pros, you'll never know. And then they'll just give notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are the killers. Those are the ones that are the daggers to the heart. You're like, oh my gosh, my lead assistant just gave notice. She's been with me 15 years. And she wouldn't even talk. I I, I can't get her on the phone mm-hmm. or something like that. So uh, that's why, as I look at it, there's a lot of things that we can do. Mm-hmm. to make sure that we're attending to our team. And, and at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. So there, there are finite, there are limits to this mm-hmm. because there'll be some people who I don't care what you do. They'll never have a full battery and they're, they're always going to be looking for more. Mm-hmm. And there will be times when you might have to make a tough decision and, and make a, make a, a transition mm-hmm. and move on from that person just because it's, it's never going to be good enough. Right. Most people, though, I think, are reasonable. They want to do well. They 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 want to be part of something. Mm-hmm. And the the recipe is not that complicated, but mm-hmm. it's not always easy either. Right, right. It's good to have um, outside eyes sometimes because sometimes when you're when you're in it, it's hard to see those things. And that's where, you know, someone like you is so valuable. So tell us a little bit, you know, the many ways that you help. Um, first of all, I know you have a book called Take Your Shot, How Small Business Owners Consistently Lead at a Higher Level. So tell us a little bit about your book and then the other ways that you work with people. The book came out as a result of the 25 plus years that I've been in the arena of performance enhancement, coaching, et cetera. I always thought that I would write a book at some point. uh, And I used the pandemic as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to be productive, I guess. And, and, you know, I'm I'm sitting around more than I normally do. So why don't I use this as as a chance to put some things from, take them from my brain and put them on paper. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty short read. It's about 130 pages. And it's, I believe, 12 chapters 
So pretty quick read. Each chapter is basically a, a tool or a concept that, that can be applied in a business. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really taught through the context of story uh, and stories either from my own life or from uh, the lives of people that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. And some are anonymous, some are not. Uh, and just in case anybody wonders, I got permission to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to use the names of those who are in there. And I find that, that using real life stories is a powerful tool to teach. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited with that. As I say, it's the first one I ever did. It's a little scary though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little scary when you put your life's work on paper and kind of put it out there for people to evaluate and judge and critique and all of that. So mm-hmm. uh, I had to apply some of my own stuff. <laughs> but it, it is a good book and it's, I like my bookcases to be color coded. Like I put them in lines. So I think your book is sat somewhere there in that white section. Oh, okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I should have brought it to the screen and have it. <laughs> That's okay. White section. I, it's, it's, right, it's right there. We can see you. Yeah. yeah. No, but the book is, is, is something I'm very proud of. Um, but it's a tool, right? It's, 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 a, it's a conversation starter, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, the, the book is a lot of content and examples, mm-hmm. but there's still a gap between the book and, app and their true implementation. Mm-hmm. And so the, as you know, we all know, we all speak. So speaking is one aspect that I, that I use as a way to disseminate information and for people to learn more about who I am and what I do. Mm-hmm. And then I work directly with dentists and, and, group practices or, or individual solo dentists, that part really doesn't matter so much to me. It's more the, the mindset and the philosophy that I'm looking for to be a a good fit. Mm -hmm. Kind of an ideal client for me would be someone who is, you know, is, is maybe happy with the progress they've made, but they're wondering what else is possible Mm -hmm. and they really want to pursue excellence but they're also realistic about, look, uh, you know, I have a life. I, I'm not going to set, you know, my family, et cetera, aside and, and devote everything to this. But this is really important to me. So I want to make sure that I get as much, much as I can out of this experience in dentistry as possible and impact as many lives while still hopefully making a decent living and not having, you know, not succumbing or, or, you know, falling prey to stress and pressure that too Mm -hmm. often we see. Right. Right. Awesome. Well, we have your website, uh, which is drdavestriegel.com. And we'll make sure and put that in the show notes as well as links to the book and um, other ways that we can find you. Um, As we wrap this up, just let us know maybe your favorite way to decompress? Oh, gosh. my Well, my favorite way to decompress, if it's just me, mm-hmm. is generally on the golf course. Okay. So I have a, a, a long history playing, not so, not, and you know, not as well as, as many, but I enjoy playing, but it's more the environment that I'm really drawn to. Mm-hmm. It's being outside, it's, it's walking, it's, the kind of quiet nature of it. It's the beauty of a golf course. I like the challenge. I'm competitive in that sense, Mm -hmm. 
but it's more of an internal competition. So mm-hmm. on the golf course is probably where I would go, even if it's just to practice, if I had, you know, a couple hours just to myself. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us and giving us this valuable insight on how we can all operate a little better under pressure. Yep, you bet. And um, we look forward to working with you some more inside the mid door. So uh, stay tuned, everyone. Uh, Dr. Dave Striegel is a valuable insight that we will be tapping into quite often because he has so many pearls to share with us. So thank you, Dave, so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Take care.